Church, go ahead and take your seats if you would. And grab your Bibles, please. And as you do, I invite you to open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Continue our message series through the Beatitudes this morning. Today we're going to find ourselves in the fifth Beatitude. Joel unpacked with us very beautifully last week uh, the fourth Beatitude. I want to back up just a moment to, to look at that just real briefly because I just think it's so so powerful that the language of the fourth beatitude is, is such that it doesn't make sense to the modern listener. In fact, for many, this language is too strong for, for Christians to hear because the fourth beatitude rules out a self-satisfied or half-hearted religion that is practiced by many. It says there in verse number 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, for for some of us, this, this beatitude will uncover memories of a time when we very first came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you remember early on in that relationship where you had a consistent hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the things of God, for the Word of God? Can you remember a time in your life where you just couldn't get enough of Jesus and His Word? Can can you remember a time when you were uh, joyously desperate for the things of God? Do you remember a season in your life where you consistently ached over your sin and the sins of the world. And it appears that for many of us that that time has worn down those desires. Maybe the the realities of life have kind of taken over or settled in and, and that hunger has now ceased and somehow we become content with a life of lesser or or limited devotion unto God. The language of that fourth beatitude is an attention-grabbing paradox. It suggests to us those who continually hunger are the ones that are satisfied. So, so how can you be hungry and yet be satisfied at the same time? Or look at it the other way. How can you uh, be satisfied and yet still hunger at the same time? Satisfied? but yet never satisfied. Full, but yet not full. Content, but yet still discontent. I believe that the the paradox of this beatitude is a description of the spiritual cycle that we face in our lives. The more that we conform to God's will and to God's word, the more fulfilled or content we will be. But that, in turn, generates within us a a sense of greater discontent. It's like this, the more I know about God, the more I realize I don't know anything about God. But yet it creates a a desire and a hunger in me to, to, to know more, to study more, to apply God's Word more consistently to my own life. And so uh, the more fulfilled and content one becomes, it it tends to generate within us a greater discontent. And our hunger increases and intensifies in the very act of being satisfied in God and in His Word. 
the great tragedy of our time is that the, the world is hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. The world hungers and thirsts after sex, after power, after fame, violence, their position or promotion. They, they hunger and thirst after entertainment. But what one would expect that from the world. The greater tragedy is the fact that many that make up the church are hungering and thirsting after the same thing that the world hungers and thirsts for. And, and, and so their diet is making them live empty or pathetic lives. And so we have this fourth beatitude, the great paradox. And then this morning we're going to camp out there in verse number 7 as we seek to unpack the fifth beatitude. The fifth beatitude says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now before I say anything else, I want you to know that I don't know your story today. I'm not intentionally picking on you today. You need to hear that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, well, what is, is he saying this directly to me? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is going to speak through me directly into your life today. I hope that's the case. But what I'm going to address this morning is something that is very difficult for many of us to receive and to put into practice in our lives. So just know I'm sharing this because it's the fifth beatitude and it's time for us to unpack it. I'm sharing it not because I know something specific about your life, but I'm sharing it because I have a love for you and I have a love for God's Word, and it's necessary for us to unpack this and rightly apply it to our lives. So with that disclaimer being said, let's, let's camp out. Verse number 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This verse is the per- perfect corrective for all of us that are caught up in bitterness, that are uh, caught up with resentment, or who are withholding forgiveness towards someone else. So, so let's talk about merciful and, and mercy. When it comes to mercy, I think sometimes mercy is better described than it is defined. And so I want to show you some uh, passages of Scripture that kind of help to describe mercy uh, before I, I seek to try to define what it is. Unfortunately, we have no projectors, so you don't get to see these verses on the screen. But if you have a bulletin, inside your bulletin, under the the message part, I I list all of the additional references from this morning. I know I tend to talk fast and go quickly, and that frustrates you at times because you can't turn your Bibles to to the place that I'm trying to get to. And so I, I list all those references for you today. And who knows, maybe this is a, a, a new practice for me to be able to do in the future. I'll do my best too. It does mean that I need to figure out what all those verses are before we go to print these bulletins. And sometimes that could be a challenge in and of itself. So, uh, I'll do my best to try to help aid and assist in that. And so this morning, let me kind of read some verses that give us a description of mercy. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth. Then it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, 
But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Hosea chapter 6, verse number 6, the Lord says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then one more, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach the throne of God with confidence so that we can uh, find and receive mercy and, and grace to help us in our time of need. So let me give you the basic idea uh, for the word merciful that's used here in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. According to the Greek language, the word that's translated merciful in, in our Bible, in our translation, could be defined as uh, to give help to the wretched. Giving help to the wretched. Or to relieve the miserable. I think compassion is a great synonym for mercy. There are two things that are essential in order to have mercy. Two things that are essential in order to have mercy. First and foremost, you must see that there is a need. So you've got to be aware of the need. The second thing that's essential is that you must have the means to be able to meet that need. The two essential things that are necessary in order for mercy to occur. You've got to see that there's a need, and then you have the means to, to meet that need. And we see this in Scripture. So with your Bibles open, hold your place there because we'll come back to it. But turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you how how this is seen in God's Word. And so, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, we're going to see that that God sees that we have a need. So, let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So God sees that we have the need. What is our need? It is the awareness that we are once, or maybe currently, children of wrath. And so he sees that we have a need, and now God has compassion towards us. He has compassion, which means he's going to act upon the need that he sees. He's aware of the need, plus he has the means to be able to meet that need. And so in his awareness of our need, he takes action to make that need met. And so it continues. Look at verse number 4. It says, but God being rich in what? Mercy. Yeah, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So, so God sees that we have a need, he sees our need, and he has compassion towards us, so he acts upon that, and he has mercy upon us. His mercy is withholding his punishment in order to provide a way of salvation for those that will put their faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. So you got to understand that mercy is not simply a thought, nor is it simply a feeling. Mercy is done, when, mercy exists when something is done in order to alleviate the distress of another person. Jesus makes this perfectly clear in the parable of the Good Samaritan, in which he asks the questioner, after he gives the parable, he turns to the one that questioned him, and he says, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so mercy implies compassion. And that's just not a feeling of pity towards something or someone, but it is a feeling plus action. So, so mercy is sympathy that leads to assistance. Write that down. Mercy is sympathy that leads towards assistance. And, and this was well known and understood by a 19th century uh, preacher who happened upon his friend one day, and his friend had a horse that was just suddenly, accidentally killed. And there was a crowd of onlookers onto the scene and they were expressing their empty words of sorrow when the preacher steps forward and he says i'm sorry for your loss i'm sorry five pounds and he takes off his hat and he puts five pounds into the hat and then he turns to the crowd of onlookers and he says how sorry are you so it's not just a feeling it's not just empty words Mercy and compassion is a feeling that leads to take an action to help another person with a need. So true mercy demands action. And so to be merciful is to be forgiving and compassionate to other people. I want to talk about the forgiveness part this morning. Because when I look at God's Word about forgiveness... It is shocking to see the number of places in his word where he says, if you're not willing to forgive others, then God's not willing to forgive you. Like, when you read that language, that, that should really cause us to pause, to tremble even at the thought and the implication of what God's word has to say about forgiveness. If you're not willing to forgive, then God's not willing to forgive you. And that's a scary thought, is it not? I want to read a couple of places in Scripture for you. Uh, first one I'll read to you comes from Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse number 37. 
Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In James, in his writing, in James chapter 2, verse number 13, he says, For judgment is without mercy for anyone who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you catch that? Like, let that sink in. He says, judgment is without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's saying is that we will receive a reciprocal reward for our behavior. God is going to treat us exactly like the way we treat other people. If we have shown mercy to other people, God's going to show mercy to us. If we don't show mercy to other people, He's not going to show mercy to us. Like, let that sink in. That strong language from the holy words of God. And I want you to note that there's one thing that will rejoice victoriously over judgment. And that one thing? Mercy. Mercy. Our only hope against God's judgment is mercy. And so therefore, we must be merciful towards others in order for us to escape the terrible judgment of God. It's even in the Lord's Prayer itself. You have your Bible still in Matthew 5? Let's go there. But you'll realize that the Lord's Prayer is not in Matthew 5. It's in Matthew 6. So you're really close to it if you held your spot. Let's look. The words of our Lord here. Follow along with me. Beginning in verse... uh, I'll start in verse 8. Do not be like them, for our Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us as we have also forgiven others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like we always stop there. There's more that Jesus is trying to teach us. He already said in verse number 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But look at verses 14 and 15. Very plainly he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, Your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These are some strong statements that Jesus is talking about when it comes to the matter of forgiveness. We're still in Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. There's a powerful parable that deals with this topic. 
I want to just say, hey, at some point today, you should read the parable. But I'm afraid many of you wouldn't. So I'm going to take the time just to read the parable this morning so that we can all hear it together. And and then I'll uh, focus in on, on the crux of the parable that's actually found in the last verse of chapter 18. But, but here it goes, beginning in verse number 21. And then Peter came up and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he gets into the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of the pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Sounds very familiar. The same plea. The same plea. In verse 30, he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he can pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also, my Heavenly Father, verse 35, my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now we read through this, and a lot of it really doesn't connect with us because we don't understand the, the, the unit of measures that they're, they're talking about here. We have talents, and we have denarii or denarius. And so what does that mean to us? It probably means very little to us today. And so it requires us to dig in a little bit to understand what, what's really happening. So a talent, in the Old Testament, a talent would have been a, a unit of measurement in order to weigh something precious like gold or silver. In the New Testament time, talent was a, a, a coin or a monetary unit. Um, and so what do we know about a talent? Well, a talent was uh, worth a whole lot. It is believed, uh, a comparison would be that one talent was equal to 20 years worth of wages. 20 years. So this servant owed his master the equivalent of 200,000 years worth of wages. See how reasonable, uh, I'm sorry, how unreasonable it is for the servant to say, oh, have patience with me and I will repay it. Guess what? He, he owed a debt that he couldn't pay. It was impossible for him to pay. 
200,000 years worth of wages. And the master had pity upon him and forgave him and released him. Only for that servant to turn around and find somebody that owed him 100 denarii. Well, that doesn't mean anything to us either. But one denarius would have been the equivalent to one day's worth of wages. So this dude was forgiven 200,000 years worth of wages, and he turns around and he finds somebody that owes him 100 days worth of wages. Like, you wouldn't take wages and put it into, like, our term and our language today. If you just take the, the oh, I guess the, the minimum pay rate, what is it, seven twenty-five per hour for Texas? I think so. Well, it is for this illustration. Uh, if you take $7.25 and you multiply it times 40 hours a week in 52 weeks out of the year, for 200,000 years, it is a little over $3 billion. This dude's debt of $3 billion was forgiven. And he turns around and finds somebody that owes him 100 days' worth. At eight hours a day, he finds somebody that owes him about $5,800. He chokes him and demands to be forgiven. You, you understand what's happening here? This guy, he has no way that he could ever be forgiven from his debt, and his master had pity upon him. And then, having received the forgiveness of his master, he turns around and refuses to forgive someone who owes him in the same manner on a much smaller scale than what he owed his own master. And verse number 35 says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Unforgiveness reveals a lack of love. Unforgiveness is equivalent to pride and self-righteousness. Like here's the thing. If you're looking at someone or something to be upset about, and if you can't find it anywhere else in this world, let me just tell you, all you have to do is come to church. That's all you have to do. Let's come to church and you'll find someone or you can find something to be upset about. Why, why would I say that? Because the truth is that we are a collective group of sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. But we've not been saved at the same time, nor are we progressing at the same speed in the sanctification process that God is doing in our lives. So we are at varying stages of fully submitting to the will and to the Word of God. And so not one of us is perfect. Not one of us is without sin. We all have our faults. And if you want to look for those faults, I promise you, you're going to find them. You can find them in me. But, but, but if you're looking for them, wanting to find them, if you're not careful, you're going to end up dwelling upon those faults. And then what's going to happen is my fault is ultimately going to destroy you. I know of someone who's upset with me, and because they're upset with me, they refuse to go to church. Not just this church, they just refuse to go to church, period. And, And I'm thinking, wait a second, you're mad about something I did or something I said, 
And, and so mad about me, and so therefore you're going to stay out of fellowship with God's people and, and stay out of fellowship with God? You're going to let that fault, you're going to let that disagreement, you're going to let that misunderstanding like ruin your relationship and damage the sanctification work that's supposed to be happening in our lives? I'm like, are you serious? Like, that's, that's, that's absurd. None of us are without faults. None of us are without problems. Therefore, it's real important that we, we remember how we're supposed to be merciful towards one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. What a beautiful word. If only we would embrace that and faithfully practice that among the Christian community. Like, I don't think there's anything greater in this world than uh, to be forgiven of our sins. To be forgiven of our sins, I think it's the greatest thing that one can experience in life. When you're forgiven, you are absolved and released from all guilt and condemnation. When you're forgiven, you are accepted and restored by God. When you're forgiven, you're sure that one day you're going to have the joy of being able to stand face to face with the Savior. When we're forgiven, when we receive that forgiveness from God, we are freed from the penalty of sin. But not only have we been freed from the penalty of sin, we're being set free. We're in the process of being set free from the practice of sin. So we're freed from the penalty of sin. We're being set free from the practice of sin. And ultimately, we will permanently be freed from the very presence of sin. It's the three tenses of salvation. You've been set free. You're being set free. And you will be set free. The beautiful picture that Jesus is trying to proclaim to us is the truth that forgiven people forgive people. To the believer who, who prays and asks God for forgiveness and then yet refuses to grant forgiveness to someone else, that's a hypocrite. They're guilty of asking God to do for them what they are unwilling to do for others. That's a hypocrite. That's not good. To, to beg and to ask for forgiveness and then to turn around and to refuse to forgive someone else is, is like saying, God, your way is good for me, but my way is better than your way and how I live it out for everyone else. That's crazy. Forgiven people forgive people. How often? Every single time. For what offense? Every single offense. There is nothing, there is nothing that has happened to you. There is nothing that could happen to you by someone or something else in this life that God says, you know what? You're right. You don't have to forgive for that. Forgiven people, forgive people. Let me help you out. You need to decide today that the default in your life is going to default to forgiveness. Forgive. 
I'm thankful that I had somebody in my life that helped shape that for me. Many, many years ago, back when I was uh, serving in the Army, shortly after Logan was born, uh, I had a six-month rotation that I had to spend in Saudi Arabia. And in this six-month rotation, it was the it was a very boring time in my life because there was nothing that we could do, right? We were on 24 hours on, 24 hours off of a rotation. And so for 24 hours, we would go out to this field or to this desert place or to an airport, and we would have to provide guard duty for 24 hours. And then for the 24 hours off, you would rest, you would eat, you would find some type of entertainment, something to do, only to go back and to do that again another 24 hours. Well, so we're, you get matched up, and I had a, um, I had, a, I was the team chief, and I had a, a another person that was my partner, and, uh, James Passmore. I'll never forget this dude. I'm so thankful for 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 him, because in those 24 hours on, there's nothing that you have to do other than to be able to talk to each other. So I have a believer who's partner with a non-believer. And in those 24 hours, it became a beautiful time for questions and answers. And one of the things that he could not uh, wrap his mind around was the concept of forgiving other people. And in his mind, uh, it um, it was impractical or not necessary to forgive for certain offenses. And he would just rake me over the coals about scenario after scenario over, would you really forgive? And every time I'd have to answer, yes. It's not about do I want to forgive. It's not about do I feel like forgiving. The answer is I forgive because God's word says I forgive. So I had a newborn, and I have my first child. And he's like, if somebody were to murder your son, you're going to forgive him? I go, yeah, I have to forgive him. Every sick, twisted, warped scenario that a non-believing person could come up with, that dude came up with every single scenario. And each time, yes, forgive. Yes, forgive. And I'm thankful for that, looking back upon that, because that helped shape in me the default to forgiveness. And so some of you, to speak to you, some of you are withholding forgiveness. And you think that you have a right to hold on to that. You don't. You need to forgive. You need to release that. You need to get rid of that bitterness and that hostility and that anger that's dwelling within you. So we forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave us. When did he forgive us? He demonstrated that forgiveness on the cross. So forgiveness has already been granted. It's now up to us to receive the forgiveness that's been extended. So I say that to highlight, you don't get to say, well, I'll, ask, I'll give them forgiveness when they come and ask for it. And until they ask for it, then I'm going to be bitter and hostile towards them. That's not how it works. You grant forgiveness now. May you hear that. May you release that. Because I know Some of you are angry. Some of you are bitter. And I'm not trying to minimize the thing that has happened to you. I'm just trying to show you what God's Word says. God's Word says, forgiven people, forgive. Every single time. So, let me just quickly look at the reward. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. 
Let's look at the reward for this uh, beatitude. It says, blessed are the merciful. The reward is, for they will be shown mercy. So the reason why the merciful are blessed, or the reason why the merciful are approved by God, is because they will be shown mercy. The word they is emphatic here. What it's saying is, blessed are the merciful, for they and they alone are the ones that are going to be shown mercy from God. So showing mercy towards one another is evidence that we have received and will receive mercy from God. Now, if you need some help today in developing compassion or help today in forgiving someone else, help today in really cultivating that merciful spirit, let me give you three quick things and then I'm done. I promise this will be fast. First of all, number one, confess it. Confess. Like, Like admit your need to God. Pray to God. Call out to Him. Say, God, I know that You are merciful to me. And I know that at times in my life, I'm good at being merciful to others, but, but if I'm honest, I'm, I'm struggling in, in, in granting and releasing this, this forgiveness, and, and I'm holding on to it, and I know I'm not supposed to, so, so God, help me. So start by confessing your need to God. Second thing I'd encourage you to do, study God's Word. Study His Word. What does God's Word have to say about forgiveness? What does God's Word have to say about compassion? What does God's Word have to say about mercy? Like, study His Word and do what God's Word tells you to do. It's not about if you feel like it or not. It's about doing it because He commands us to do it. And then the third thing that I would encourage you to do is to start right now. Start today. Make the commitment Rely on the Holy Spirit and start being merciful today. So application for all of us. Because I think we can all uh, find at least one of these two things for us that we could do today. Two action steps that we can take today. Very simple, but very powerful. First of all, we can make the decision today that we are going to forgive the person who has wronged us in the past. The second thing that we can do is that we can purposefully become involved with someone who has a need in their life, a physical need. So either make the decision to forgive someone who has wronged you today or make the commitment to purposefully respond to meet the need of someone else. So the two simple questions And I'm done. Today, who do you need to forgive? Today, who can you help? Man, I hope that you'll pray and ask God those questions and then do what He tells you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this church, for this time together, for the great joy of looking at Your Word. And God, help those that are just bitter angry, frustrated over the things of their past. Help them to release that and to grant forgiveness for what's been done to them, against them, about them, whatever it is. And God, all of us, help us to cultivate the compassion that is needed and necessary 
so that we can rightfully respond to the needs that are around us. And we're surrounded with great desperate need. The first thing that we can do is to be aware of the need. The second thing that we can do, Father, is to ask, now that we're aware, what do you want me to do? Father, in this moment, I pray that we would seek to to be right with you and to be right before you. May we confess sins. May we repent from sins. May we seek to restore relationships. May we have a desire to walk in obedience. So whatever decision that needs to be made in this moment, in this place, God, I pray that we'll make those right now. We ask your blessings upon this time. Be glorified in what you see in us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.